The following is a message given by Sheldon Campbell, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. Grace Family Church, it's always such a joy to preach God's words to you. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Uh, just for one moment, could you um, carry this up a little bit for me? Thank you. <laughs> I'm a little bit taller. Thanks. That's good. Uh, maybe a little bit too much. Yeah, that's fine. Good. Thank you. Right. So we are continuing in our series which is Follow the Son, a journey through the Gospel of Mark. And the title of my sermon this morning is The True Source. You know, I'll be preaching from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through to 29. So let's listen to God's words, which are the source of all that is wholesome and true and guides us in the path of becoming more like Jesus. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithful generation, faithless, sorry, generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, 
You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was a corpse, was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I need to find the source of blank, blank, blank. What comes to mind? Is it something negative or positive? It depends right on what we are talking about and the given situation. For instance, finding the source of floods and mudslides and power outages and drinking water contamination and wildfires to be a volcanic eruption would be seen as negative. However, finding the source of a leak in a fridge or the house through a broken pipe might be seen as negative or positive, depending on whether you knew about the leak and the person's perspective. Well, in our passage, we see the source of a boy's plight, which led him to having convulsions-like symptoms. And it was a demon that was causing this. And we also saw a father's desire for it to be addressed. Well, we also see the need for the disciples who were trying to assist the boy but didn't connect with the true source, which is our triune God, by prayer. And so they failed in helping the demon-possessed boy. In fact, I believe this passage highlights that prayer expresses our faith and dependency on God and connects us to true source of all power. In fact, all our attempts, just like the nine disciples, are useless unless we find and connect to the source through faith. This choice to connect illustrates our dependence on God. Yet today, and in the past, many people, including us, have often sought to accomplish things without relying on God. However, Jesus is rightly reminding us that prayer expresses our faith and dependency on God and connects us to the true source of all power. You know, from the passage, I will 
seek to show through four scenes how Mark is suggesting to his readers and listeners, that is, believers that are to put their trust and reliance in God. First, the problem which we will see in verses 14 through to 22. The petition in verses 22b through to 24. The purge, verses 25 through to 27. And the posture, verses 28 through to 29. So let's begin with scene one, the problem. Our story begins with a descent from a mountain after its aftermath. There are similar scenes in the Old Testament, like when Moses descended from Mount Sinai to face rebellion and idolatry in Israel's camp, which we see in Exodus 32. Or when Elijah descends from Mount Horeb, you know, otherwise called Sinai, to tackle King Ahab and his wife Jezebel in 1 Kings 19. So in our passage, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, after they descended from the mountain where Jesus was transfigured, these four men went to the other disciples and they observed a large crowd had surrounded the other disciples. And some scribes were arguing and questioning them about spiritual authority. Now as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran to greet him. Possibly as James R. Edwards says, the astonishment of the crowd appears to owe to Jesus' appearance and the hopes it raised. Edwards also notes that the crowd's wholesale shift of attention from the scribes to Jesus once again accentuates his authority over the scribes who are cross-examining the disciples. So Jesus asked the scribes, what are you arguing about with these disciples? GFC, do you recognize that Jesus changed this chaotic situation with the crowds and the scribes and the disciples who were arguing over spiritual authority by merely asking questions? He took the pressure off the disciples to respond, and now he will act. These disciples must have been so relieved. Then a man in the crowd explained that his son had a demon that made him unable to speak. And it would throw him down where he would be foaming and grinding his teeth and becoming stiff. 
As such, this man wanted the disciples to cast out the demon, but they were unable to. You know, aren't there times when you are in difficult situations? <laughs> and you may have wrongly felt that the Lord has left, meaning he's not around. But we need to act, minister, serve our families, our co-workers who may be going through a problem. It may be financial, it may be something health-wise, a divorce, whatever it is, and you wonder, where is the master? <laughs> where is Jesus now? I could really do well with him being here. <laughs> this is looking pretty. People are depending on me and expecting me to represent Jesus and things don't seem to be working out. So, we're in a crisis like the disciples who were temporarily separated from Jesus and required to respond to the situation. They were required to act. Therefore, Jesus replied in verse 19, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus could not believe the generation. That is, and when, when we think about generation, think about the crowd. Think about the, the father, the disciples, all of them who lacked faith, trust in him after the long time that they had been with him. Wow. <laughs> Where shall I go in with this? I don't like how it sounds. It sounds like this may apply to me. Well, I think this is exactly what Jesus is saying. As, as Christians, hasn't. Jesus' divine power granted to us all that pertain to life and godliness. As 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. So, do you believe that? Think about it. Didn't Jesus in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 to 15 and Mark chapter 6, Verses 7, call the 12 apostles and, give, and gave them authority to cast out demons. Yes. And didn't they cast out demons after that? Yes. We see that in seven verses after that in Mark 6.13. So isn't this three chapters after what took place in Mark chapter 6? Yes. Therefore, I believe the object of their faith needed proper alignment. Moreover, didn't Jesus demonstrate that through belief in him, 
not the disciples' capabilities, that miracles were possible. So Grace Family Church, where have you placed your faith? Is it properly aligned? You know, this is the kind of situation where many people would be like, I wonder if they'll ever get it. You know, Jesus was repeatedly <laughs> shown to be in these kind of situations with his disciples throughout the Gospel of Mark. They continued failing the faith test. Would you have passed it? Have you ever felt frustrated that you're investing in someone and you are not seeing the ROI or the return on investment or seeing dividends? Parents, we know how that can feel. You teach the same thing over and over again and it may feel like it isn't working. But generally, one day, something changes, something clicks, and that child finally gets it. There's hope. Similarly, there's hope that you're investing in others. Discipleship may prove beneficial in the future. However, only God knows the outcome. But we must be faithful to do what he has asked us to do, which is to make disciples. Yet don't be too quick to think poorly of the disciples. Don't we often fail in this area too? The implication of Jesus' correction of them is that they weren't praying, but expected perhaps that since they had cast out demons before, they just cast out this one too. So their success likely led to self-confidence rather than to have continued dependence on God. Note also that the disciples' faith failure occurred shortly after Peter had that revelation that Jesus was the Messiah in Mark 8. And all the disciples would have benefited from that knowledge. Sometimes our greatest faith failures occur right after our greatest achievements in the faith. I've heard stories of ministers saying when they were caught in sin, it was immediately after they preached an exceptional message or did some great feat for the Lord. Please pray for your pastors. However, this can happen to any believer after some successful event in ministry or experience in the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul wisely warns us. He warns believers in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. 
He says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So Jesus, hearing of their lack of faith, asks them to bring the boy to him. And in verse 20, when the demon, that is the unclean spirit, saw Jesus, immediately the demon-possessed boy started to have a convulsion. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. You know, now that we have a good grasp of what led to the conflict over spiritual authority that was occurring, let's, let's move to our next scene to see what will happen. So, we arrive at scene two, the petition. Therefore, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, from this answer, we can see that this demon, like the other stories which we have seen with other demons, which we have covered in the book of Mark already, was trying to kill the person that they possessed. As such, the, the father of the boy was desperate, just hoping that Jesus could do something to help them. In verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. You know, Jesus seems to be surprised by the, fa the father's response. You know, by Jesus repeating part of what the, the father said, sounds like he couldn't believe the response. <laughs> what do you mean, if you can? Listen, I know when my children <laughs> ask me something that I believe I am capable of doing. That sometimes pride and arrogance just kick up itself, it starts kicking. And I may repeat part of what they said to suggest that they better get their facts right, straight. Certainly, I can do it. However, I don't believe Jesus was being prideful here. I believe Jesus was asserting that he acts on God's behalf with all authority. And thus, there isn't anything that he cannot do. In fact, in Jesus' response, it was compassionate and highlighted to the, to, the, to the Father that if he believed, then impossible things can happen. They can come to pass. Thus, the need to have faith. So in verse 24, right away the child's father cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. Thus showing the, the father had his doubts, yeah, 
but still wanted to try to, to have faith because he wanted to, to see his son healed. He was desperate, but he wanted to see his son healed. According to Edwards, Jesus can expel demonic forces at a word. But evoking a faith is much harder. It's a much harder matter. Disbelief of Jesus, whether from the scribes, the crowds, the disciples, or desperate fathers, is both a greater opposition and more serious obstacle than all the hosts of pandemonium. The Father has only the mustard seed beginnings of faith. If you can, Jesus replies, replies Jesus in surprise. The problem is not divine unwillingness or divine inability, but human unbelief. What is impossible to humans is possible to God. Everything is possible to him who believes. Think about the father's response and faith. Didn't the father bring his son to the disciples, likely with the hope that Jesus would be there. So he did believe and have faith in a sense. However, the disciples' inability to cast out the demon may have been causing uncertainty and doubt. Haven't we been in situations where we have been believing Jesus for miracles, but at the same time wondering if it will entail, entail a full miracle, a partial healing, etc. And I know this is a tricky space and many people have wrongly gotten disappointed with God for what I am going to say. Are you asking from Jesus' statement whether we need to have complete faith for God to grant our request? I do believe faith honors God. And it is one of the things repeatedly mentioned in Scripture that God responds positively to. However, I believe God responds to our honesty as well. And to say that we are struggling with doubts regarding a matter, at the same time having faith, that is knowing that he can do what we ask is fine. I think it is fine. This may sound contradictory, but a part of real faith is overcoming doubt. As such, it is a process by which God helps us as we trust in him. Listen, <laughs> repeating a million times that we need to have faith won't work. <laughs> Again, the focus is not on us. That is the sufficiency of our faith. But it is on placing our trust in God. True faith, is, as Edward says, is always aware how small 
and inadequate it is. The father becomes a believer not when he amasses a sufficient quantum of faith, but when he risks everything on what little faith he has, when he yields his insufficiency to the true sufficiency of Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus has communicated with the scribes and the Father to understand the conflict and in his dialogue with the Father's requests, he, he, he's now transitioning and we're going to see Jesus respond to this request from the, from the Father, which we will discuss in our next scene, which is the purge in verses 25 through to 27. So in verses 25, as Jesus sees the crowd is growing and more people are gathering, he rebukes the demon, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the demon cried out, and the boy had a terrible convulsion. And it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, some of us have read these stories numerous times. And through familiarity, we have wrongly, wrongfully lost the, I'd say, the first response and the long-lasting impact of what Mark is trying to communicate, which is that Jesus has authority over demons, which is a big deal. Listen, the demons shudder and scream out because of Jesus' power. We don't need to fear no devil, no evil, nothing, because we belong to Jesus. We belong to God. You know, as we hear of this boy's exorcism, I figure you may ask the question, what is different between this case of demon possession and this looks like it's epilepsy? Sadly, <laughs> there are times when demonic possession can exhibit similar symptoms, like illnesses. But this doesn't mean we must go around the place <laughs> trying to cast demons out of people who um, have convulsions-like symptoms or epilepsy or, or have some kind of, I don't know, neurological disorders or something. This was a demon that was having this boy exhibit these kind of symptoms. And it's very important for me to say this, you know, because I don't want one of those to go try to cast out demons because the people have fits and foam and all kind of stuff. So I want to make it clear in this message. <laughs> oh boy. 
You know, the, the ESV refers to this demon as a unclean spirit. And I like that word, unclean spirit, unclean. I'm sure the, the boy and the father, they were grateful that Jesus had, hear this, purged him from that unclean spirit. Yeah, that's what you do with something unclean, right? You purge it. Well, after the purge, what happens? <laughs> well, after the purge, the boy seemed to be dead. No, I'm not telling a lie. I'm not telling a lie. <laughs> if you carry your son to somebody and after the person do something, your son look like him dead. <laughs> you know, so, but we can't believe this. They might try for help and all they might do are mess up the same thing worse. The boy dead now. Then Jesus took the boy by the hand and lifted him up and he stood on his feet. The problem has now been solved and the father's petition answered. So in the next scene we will learn what prevented the disciples from casting out the demon. So we come to our last scene, which is our fourth scene, which is the posture in verses 28 through to 29. Later, when Jesus had entered a house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus in verse 29 said to them, this kind cannot be driven out but by anything but by let me read well, let me say that again this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer thanks you know this is the first mention of prayer in the book of mark i mean although there have been two references to jesus um praying alone which we see in um Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and Mark 6, 46. Um, here, it's talking more about the need to pray. Interesting. So, so the question that one must ask is, why prayer? What's so special about prayer? Didn't Jesus give his disciples authority in the past? And as I said before, yes, and they exercised it. Yet we can fall into the same trap thinking that we don't need to pray. But by not praying, all you're doing is showing that you don't believe that you need to be dependent on the Lord. You know, there, there, there's a kind of posture which... I believe that if believers have, that it will honor the Lord. And I think prayer is one of those posture. It keeps us humble. It keeps us dependent. You know, if we consider the context, we would see that this is prayer expressed as faith in God to answer a specific request that we have. 
Therefore, the demonstration of miracles and other acts which the disciples were performing must be seen as God at work, his power at work. The disciples in of themselves weren't able to do remarkable feats. As such, the situation was likely used by God to remind them of their need to be dependent on God. And don't we need that regular reminder? Honestly, this walk of faith isn't easy. Haven't we drunk all? Haven't we all drunk the Kool-Aid of self-dependence? Which the world is just freely just dishing out, just giving to us. Freely. Just, the world is freely giving to us. We don't like being dependent on the Lord. But that's the right posture. We like to steer our own ships. And how foolish it is that, you know, when the Creator who knows better than us, and he's saying to us, listen, follow me. I'm wiser. I love you. And I know best. And we foolishly say, no, I want to do my own thing. If we are honest, we are proud people, just like the disciples who think we I need for pray. Many times. We do things many times. I want to think so we don't need for pray. We don't need for pray. We know best. Therefore, we need a renewed mindset. And we should thank God for the opportunity to pray to him as he listens to his children. Our days are full of many things that should drive us to pray. But we don't need to talk to God only about the things that he can help us with. We get an opportunity to speak with our Heavenly Father who wants to have relationship with us. We shouldn't be indifferent to these moments as I've heard a few people communicating. Because it can feel at times like this is a pointless exercise. However, we may just need to take some time to listen after saying all we just did to God and wait. I would say God mainly speaks to us through his word and others. Therefore, this notion that some of us are waiting to hear some audible voice from God. Is what is, is what is causing many people to be frustrated in prayer and disappointed with God. Notwithstanding, many of us can attest to what a difference it makes when God spoke to us through his word and through others just at the right time. As such, while this story demonstrates the miraculous power which is available when we pray in faith to God, let prayer be a 
regular practice, habit, a spiritual discipline which we have. As I seek to wrap this up this morning, I want to reiterate what I believe is the big picture of this passage, which is that prayer expresses our faith and dependency on God and connects us to the true source of all power. Therefore, Grace Family Church, when we are confronted with challenging situations, as Edwards points out, when all human hopes are exhausted, hope can be expected from Jesus. Moreover, let us refrain from wrongfully and hastily misjudging others as Edwards wisely encourages us that true faith takes no confidence in itself, nor does it judge Jesus by the weaknesses of his followers. It looks to the more powerful one who stands in the place of God, whose authoritative word restores life from chaos. True faith is unconditional openness to God, a decision in the face of all to the contrary, that Jesus is able. Brothers and sisters, our faith and dependence is widely placed in God and secured by Him. Amen. 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 You have just listened to a message by Sheldon Campbell, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.